0: Hey everybody! It is Stacy Higginbotham and my colleague
1: Kevin, Kevin. Toefel.
0: And this is <laughs> sorry, I caught you off guard there, Kevin.
1: You did. I thought you were going to intro me, but we have not talked in a while, so you kind of threw me for a loop.
0: There we go. Well, this is <laughs> this is the first time we're recording the Internet of Things podcast, as it is now called, um, without without the GigaOhm logo because GigaOhm is well, it is it is no more, it, and so we're still here we're still here and we're still friends and we still love the internet of things so we're we're trying this on our own um we'll see how it does and you guys have actually been super supportive and a little demanding asking us to keep this thing going so we will we're going to give it our best shot
1: we do what we are told we aim to please
0: We do. Um, And so first off, we'll get started with the device that I have been trying out in my home. Um, It's a device I recommend to lots of people. So, you know, yay. It is called the Staples Connect Home Hub. I had tried out initially a couple, gosh, over a year and a half ago now, or about a year and a half ago, the Staples Connect Home Hub version one. Now I've got the second version, which is manufactured by D-Link. It actually came out in August, but... I know. So long ago. Um, But I hadn't gotten a chance to plug it in until now. I hadn't had it in my house until a couple of weeks ago. So I I popped it in the house. I tried it out. And I got to say, I still like this thing a lot. I really do. I, I love the way it works. I think it has a pretty great array of devices for people and a wonderful UI for people who are you know, Mm. interested in the hub ecosystem, right? Who are interested in connecting a lot of things. Right. It has five radios. So this version they added two more radios, Bluetooth and Zigbee, to their existing radios, which were Wi-Fi, Z Wave, and Lutron. And it's kind of the Lutron that makes this a little different because it not When it launched, not everyone had Lutron. Mm-hmm. A couple other hubs, like Wink now has Lutron. But this works way better than the Wink hub.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to go there, but I am going to ask you a question. So um, the difference between version 1 and version 2, it's obviously the new radios. Is there a price difference at all? And, and what, other, what other changes have they made to this hub?
0: So the earlier hub was manufactured by Lynxys. Mm-hmm. um and then cisco sold off linksys and sold it to belkin um in belkin so
1: they've already got their own stuff they've got their house. own stuff so right.
0: so now this hub is manufactured by d-link which hmm. also has its own smart camera lineup the arlo lineup of gear um, but it doesn't have a hub so it makes this one um they're Probably is a price differential, but since the other hub isn't out there anymore, it doesn't really matter.
1: Good point. Um, mm.
0: So there's no real comps there. Right now, they're doing a deal. I believe the hub is $79.99 if you bought it mm. on your own. It's very expensive,
1: I, but don't do I, that. Why? What's the deal? I love deals.
0: You love deals. Um, this is actually a pretty good one. So if you buy two connected devices
1: mm-hmm.
0: at Staples for twenty nine ninety nine or above... You will get the hub free. Ooh! So basically, you should just go spend sixty bucks on connected devices,
1: right? Like switches or outlets or lights or something.
0: Yeah, switches, outlets, a connected camera. You're probably going to spend a little bit more. Mm -hmm. In all honesty, Um, I personally like would go out and get like this. This would be me, right? I would go get maybe some Hue lights Mm -hmm. um, or a, a Lutron dimmer. I'm a huge fan of the Lutron stuff. You guys know this. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want to get like a... They've got the Arlo cameras. They've got support for... Oh, one of my favorite devices, which is the Jasco Outdoor Links. That's great around Christmas time. I know it's not Christmas time, but, you know, anytime you've got outdoor lights or things you want to plug in, I love those things. Um, I think I I bought mine on Amazon for... I want to say they were about 25 bucks, so that may not get you there, Mm -hmm. but I think they're more expensive inside the store. So, And
1: being a cross-platform guy, can I use this with iOS, Android, and anything else?
0: You can use it with iOS and Android. Yay! Um, They also have a web browser. Um, What I've noticed that they did, and I think this is really a very smart move, is they've started doing two things. One is when you're looking to add on to your system they ask you things like uh do you want to manage your home security or you know have your lights do something you know have your lights turn on when you walk in the door they -hmm. they offer you little scenarios and then then you should buy a connected (laughs) light switch um go shopping and that, that's actually kind of nice. It's giving you little hints about what you can do with these products.
1: And that's that's a good idea because a lot of people don't know. When you say I have a smart home, well, what does that mean? What can I do with it? You can have fifty different options that people probably don't know about.
0: Right. Or like, do you want to buy a motion sensor? You're like, Well, uh what am I, I gonna do with it? I don't know. <laughs> So I I liked that. And then the other thing they're doing is they're actually doing a lot with the data on the back end for both consumers and retailers. So on the consumer side, they'll show you, they're they're working really hard to show you if you have the following three products in your home, you might also like to buy this product. Uh, It fits well with these other products that you have. And on the retailer side, they're showing the retailer the same sort of data and then offering them the chance to give you kind of coupons or, you know, special discounts or maybe an email marketing campaign towards you. Nice. Which you may or may not like. It's always,
1: always nice to have options. Nice to have options. Just to re- refresh my memory, is this all still from the company uh, that's in my backyard practically in Pennsylvania? Is it from Zonoff?
0: It is. It's, it's from, so the software backend is from Zonoff. Mm-hmm. Um, that does all of this stuff. And I noticed by poking around in the app a little bit, a couple things that aren't available today, like appliances, that kind of hint to me that maybe we're Mm. gonna see some cool stuff in the future, Mm -hmm. like appliances. It's, it's very secret. Well,
1: it's interesting because I'm actually on their web page right now, and they say that their software framework scales across mobile devices and such, which we knew that already, but also HDTVs, Blu-ray players, clock radios, picture frames. So you could really start seeing a lot of smart devices around the home that we don't think of today.
0: True. I know that they... So Zonoff provides the back-end software for the Somfy remote control blinds, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a high-end proprietary kind of home system. Too Uh, rich for my blood. It's it's pretty I'll pull the cord, thank you. (laughs) There you go. Yank it. Um, So they do that. And I talked to the CEO, Mike Harris, the other day, and he mentioned to me that we should expect in the coming months to see new channel partners. So I am very eager to see what he's got there. And he also mentioned to me, because I don't know if, I guess we haven't talked about this because we've been on hiatus for a couple weeks, Mm -hmm. but Amazon has put a call out for developers for its SDK. They've actually started releasing its Mm -hmm. SDK for its Echo. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember this, but when I was trying out the Echo, the one thing I really wanted to do was command the Echo to do things like open my blinds or turn off my lights. And so, of course, I was like, Mike, are you guys going to work with the... You know Amazon SDK and he said that was you know something they wanted to do so Mm. we want
1: them to do that too
0: I know so I'm hoping that that comes because they had actually had a deal with Ivy the voice controlled alarm clock Mm -hmm. that didn't work out so well on the Staples end I don't think Staples offers that product anymore but you know in my quest for home automation voice control is really high up there and one day Kevin one no,
1: day. I I agree. It's the invisible interface. I've said that for years.
0: Yes, and I have heard you for years. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. I <laughs> there's a reason you're my you're you're my co-host here.
1: <laughs> <sighs> so uh, I'm gonna go check out my stables now because I'm kind of excited by that deal.
0: It's it's a good deal, and you know if you don't mind swapping out your light switches, I really love the Lutron stuff. I know it's an old interface. But it works so well. Oh, and for all of you guys out there who really like who really like lighting. And I know I get in trouble every time I talk about <laughs> lighting. I'm sorry, mega culpa. But this is the only platform that I've experienced so far that I can actually use the Lutron Pico remote to control both my Lutron lights and any other lights that are tied into the platform. Hmm. So I can control my Hue lights. My, like, Zigbee or other lights, and all of that on one little remote control, which is, I'm going to say it, pretty darn handy. Yeah. No,
1: that's nice. I I know you like your remote controls as opposed to using your phone, so I I think that's great.
0: It's one button instead of opening it up, like, my... Picking up the phone and unlocking the phone and opening uh, the
1: app. And... It'll all be on your Apple Watch. Don't worry.
0: Oh, like I'm buying the <laughs> Apple Watch.
1: Uh, no, you're you're an Android user, I think.
0: I am. Wait, but you have an iPhone. Are you going to buy the Apple Watch? Oh,
1: I use, I, I use them all. So from Windows Phone all the way on up or down the stack, however you want to look at it. I don't know. You know, it, I'm still not convinced that it's going to do enough for the price for me. If I do get one, I will say this right up front. I'll probably get the smaller one, not just because it's $50 cheaper, but also because um, I'll, I'll get the sport model for 349 So I'll, I'll save some money there. I don't want to spend five, 600 or more on, on a watch. Not a smart watch anyway.
0: Okay, that is a lot of money to spend on a watch. Mm-hmm. And so what would you, what are you most looking forward to about the watch? Or does it meet your needs?
1: That's the thing. You know, I I wear an Android Wear watch now, and it, I think, meets my needs better because of the Google Now contextual notifications that pop up throughout the day, and you don't have that with with an Apple Watch, at least not out of the gate. Um, The flip side is you're locked in. If you buy an Android Wear watch, you can only use it with an Android phone, and I don't always use an Android phone, so I may just buy an Apple Watch. I don't know. I also back the Pebble time, so I have that coming uh, in May which mm-hmm. is cross-platform.
0: Well, and you also, I mean, the the Apple Watch is the same thing. I mean, it only works with the iPhone.
1: Exactly. Well, i that's, yeah, that's so why I back the pebble time, quite honestly. Uh, I prefer a cross-platform solution for pretty much anything I need these days. So I, I don't want to have to worry about what device I'm using, who made it, and what software it runs. I would just want to use apps and services across my choice of devices. And so... I, I don't know yet. I I I'm not I'm not sold on the Apple Watch. I will say this having used it at the and worn it actually for a little while at the Apple event earlier this month, even though it does a lot of the same things as the Android Wear Watch in typical Apple fashion, it does have a very elegant fluid way of doing things. I do think they got away from their simplicity a little bit, but you're you're stuck with a small screen and a few buttons. It's very hard to keep things simple with the user experience. So, um don't know. Jury's still out yet on that.
0: Well, and you also, I, I remember you writing many, many, many months ago, or maybe it was years ago, even mm. that you know nobody knows what they want a smartwatch to be. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to design a simple interface for something when you don't know what it, what it really is yet.
1: Yeah, this is an evolving category, and it's going to change. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And think back to when the first iPhone came out in 2007. That was kind of a turning point for, for the smartphone era, but it was really about a year later that we really got what we all wanted, and that was apps. And it's going to take time for the Apple Watch to get its apps as well. So this is going to be an interesting year of evolution, I think.
0: And maybe maybe the the interface or the model for the watch isn't apps. I kind of look at that and I mm. think... I really think it could be sensors and just like mm-hmm. an interface, or just providing additional context in mm-hmm. in that situation. You don't even need apps per se. You just need sensors interacting with things around you. And yep. if that's at
1: that, at that point, it also becomes a presence indicator, an identity indicator. I mean, there's a lot of other things that are not app centric that this could work for uh, in the future. So
0: but then you need you need a lot more around the watch that works with the watch for that to actually for it to be valuable enough to people
1: a whole so, ecosystem i Ooh. know and apple apple's good at that
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know i again though i think i think you would have to have homekit be already out in the market i think mm-hmm. it's going to be hard if you're not cross platform i think as the ecosystem gets wider as it spans more than just a phone and more than just a computer and it starts to touch every aspect of our lives it becomes really hard to be so vertically integrated i guess or so to have such a walled garden
1: it's it is a challenge uh but it's also a challenge that apple has faced before and they have experience with it and some people like to be inside apple's world and that's and there's nothing wrong with that and that's perfectly fine Uh, you know i know i'm not like everybody um I was actually happy to hear that Android Wear may actually be coming to iOS, in which case you could use an Android Wear watch with an iPhone. I don't think it'll give you the best integrated experience because of that vertical integration that's that's missing, but I might be happy enough with that. Again, I, I like choice. That's just that's just me.
0: Okay. Well, fair enough. And no. then let's see. I want to say uh, I also wanted to draw your attention to the fact that Google Now did, they, they talked about, an open API for Google now so you might actually Mm -hmm. get Google now on your Apple watch
1: well you know two things come to mind here one you can already get Google now notifications on iOS devices if you install the Google search app it's built in which is really clever of of Google in my opinion so you know I'm using an iPhone today and I already had a couple of contextual notifications pop up so pushing those over to an Apple watch really shouldn't be a big deal because it's just a notification but as far as Google Now itself and the openness of that that's coming there, I mean, this is becoming a whole little mini platform for Google. These Google Now cards that start out with just basic contextual things that it learns from you about your, you know, for, through your email or, um, or or, through other Google service interactions. Now that they're opening this up to developers, yeah, it's great to have, you know, little cards that pop up from apps that say, hey, you're near uh, this coffee shop do you want to check on a Foursquare or something it, it's bridging that that gap between the app and and having to geez unlock your phone go to the right app and so on apps come to you that information comes to you and I think that is really where Google now is going to be su- continue to be successful
0: I cannot wait I think that's probably a good place to end today on this this note of optimism and we'll stay tuned for our guest who is Brady Forrest of PCH's Highway One Incubator. And he is going to talk about how to build products that don't suck, which I am really excited about.
1: Make them cross platform.
0: (laughs) We actually didn't talk about making them cross platform, but Uh. we did talk about making sure that, you know, they work. And that's important, usually. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you'd be surprised how many don't work. So, or maybe you wouldn't because you talked to me and, you experience the joys of them not working yourself. I only buy the ones that work. <laughs> I, on the other hand, buy all kinds of stuff. But I'm going to Staples. That's it. There you go. Well, if, if you do set it up, let me know what you think. Because right now, that's probably the best platform out there for the mainstream consumer, I would say. All right. right, I'll.
1: I will let you know.
0: All right. Hey, everybody, it is Stacey Higginbotham, and we are back with the Internet of Things podcast. And today I have as my guest, Brady Forrest, who is a VP at Highway One. Highway One is an accelerator. It's part of the PCH, uh, we'll call it, should we call it a Manufacturing and Fulfillment House? Is that the best version of PCH? Um,
2: PCH designs custom manufacturing solutions, Oh, and what that What that basically means is they handle companies supply chains and so they help companies make things they help companies move things around package them design them and if you show up with your product we can make it
0: all right well there you go so highway one is pch's accelerator and brady manages that so that means brady is your guy for kind of some of the really cool connected objects coming out of, I don't know, Silicon Valley, other places in the world.
2: Um, well, we, we take teams from all over the world, actually. Like our current class of 11 companies, four of them are from overseas. We have a French team an Irish team, a Dutch team and an Indian team. Awesome. And they'll all go home after, after the program
0: all right and you probably well i know you guys who listen to the show have heard of these companies because i talk about them so some of the ones i know you've heard of would be ringley um the drop kitchen scale i'm trying to think of others that i know i've talked about i well i don't know what are some of your i won't say favorites brady because i'm sure you love them all but what are some of the ones that i know have hit the market because we try to talk about things that are mostly on the market
2: Things that are on the market or are available on crowdfunding.
0: Um, let's let's do mostly on the market, and you can throw in one or two that are available on crowdfunding.
2: Sure. I mean, I think right now it's really just Drop and Ringly are the only things that are available. Uh, things that will be available sooner rather than later are Birdie and Podo and Navti. Uh, things that just hit crowdfunding yesterday are SwitchMate and Podo. Okay. And Blick which is a Bluetooth
0: button. Oh, yes. I got excited about... Uh, I'm, I'm a real fan of buttons. Um, I love to press things to make things happen as opposed to relying on my smartphone. Um, so I'm a button fan. Yay! Um, okay. So the reason Brady is on the show is because a couple of weeks ago, I just got so fed up with getting devices that didn't work. And... I am constantly testing devices, so part of this is, is my job, is getting these connected devices and playing with them. But after probably two years of doing this and then showing things off to my friends and having that moment of like, please, 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 I've just talked this up to everybody and pressing a button and then nothing happening and my friends going, wow, this is really awesome. I realized that the smart home is never gonna take off if this is the user experience that people have when they spend, you know, 200 bucks on a device and it only works half the time. Um, so I thought, because so far the, the two devices that, and there's more than just two, but PCH in my, my highway one devices have really worked well out of all the devices that I've tried. So I thought you'd be a good person to talk about when devices, you know, when can they actually be kind of like beta devices and then How do you get a device into the hands of consumers that does work and isn't kind of an iterative process while it's out on the market? So let's start, Brady, with, gosh, when can a device be, I guess, in beta still and be on the market? Well,
2: well, unfortunately, a device can be in beta and be on the market quite often because there's no... There's no uh, registry that says, okay, a product is finished. And the reality is, technology products are rarely finished. That said, there's a big difference between a bug, where it tells you it's going to work one way and it doesn't, which hopefully most of the things you're experiencing are bugs, and perhaps a, which perhaps we'll call a design bug or design flaw, which is, when it doesn't work the way it should, but it is actually how they intended it to work. Um, and so in the one case, honestly, I think it means that those companies didn't spend much time testing, which happens a lot of the time. Or they had, you know, a lot of the mobile platforms that these companies depend on uh, have ever-shifting code and APIs. And so sometimes the stack actually changes underneath them, or you're using some configuration that they were unable to test. Because a lot of these platforms are constantly changing for developers. If you go to the Android platform, there's hundreds if not thousands of Android phones. There's numerous Bluetooth stacks. There's thousands of Wi-Fi routers and all these things can factor into why a device drops off your network, stops working, loses its connection. Now, there's also the design flaws And that's when the inventor has come up with something, they think that a device, let's say, uh, like Switchmate, you design it to turn off your lights from your phone. But kind of like what you said, Stacy, you don't want to turn off your lights from your phone, you'd rather turn it off from a button. But they haven't designed that use case yet. So when you first get it, it definitely turns off your lights whenever you want it to. However, you don't like that interaction, and you wish it did something more. And so in that way, that kind of failed in that scenario for you.
0: Okay. Well, in, in that, I'm, I'm less concerned about that because I, I am forgiving that, you know, the, the people who are building these products, you know, they have a limited, <laughs> they're usually startups. They have maybe five or 10 people on a team. They can't get to everything. Um, oh, yeah. so I, I, I feel like if you meet your specs that you've advertised to me, you're doing great, right? <laughs> that's all I want. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say though that, so, so let's, let's talk about the ways that you can fail the consumer. Cause I think that's, that's probably really relevant here. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, fail is, you can fail in many ways as, as I have discovered throughout my life. <laughs> so there's, there's the failure of a product working as advertised. And I think one way that this happens is when someone launches like on Kickstarter or promotes their product there is they often have the list of basic features, it'll do the following things. And then they have the list of like things they would like to have, and then they have things that they promise when they talk to reporters about what they're doing. And sometimes that all gets kind of muddled together. I don't know if you've noticed that. I, I don't know what the advice is. And I see this all the time. I mean, I see it with like uh, products that talk about algorithms, especially. They're like, oh, it's going to anticipate your every need. But that's not going to come out for another six months after we launch. Right? And you're like, really? My every need? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I'm going to totally back this project. <laughs> so when you when you think about that, is is that somewhat what would you advise companies to do? Do you think they should be talking about those things? Do you think it's maybe people like me, the reporters who are like, oh, this sounds great, because I'm trying to dial that back a little bit, I got to admit.
2: Well, I think that companies should always be clear when that what it ships with now versus what it will ship with in the future. And I think it should be clear when something is going to require a lot of customers to get to scale. And so when it's something that's going to anticipate your every need, to me, that says when it has a lot of data, it will be able to figure out what users in various situations do. The thing is they shouldn't overpromise those things because until they hit that scale, they won't hit most scenarios. And so they won't know what to do in those scenarios. And the reality is they'll never hit every scenario. Even Google hits, you know, I forget the percentage, but tons of uh, queries it's never seen every day. And Google's one of Google's big advantages is that they see more queries that have multiple hits per day so they can use their cache, whereas smaller search engines don't have that advantage. And so small companies that are trying to take advantage of user data that only have a small user base, they're not going to be able to anticipate your ever need.
0: That is a real bummer, but you're probably right. Mm-hmm. And what about, what about baseline features? Cause this is another spot where I see companies fail. So for example, I recently tried out a home security system that, and, and this might be good for Birdie because Birdie is a home security system or an air quality monitoring system, isn't it?
2: Air quality monitoring. Oh, Canary is a security system. That's right.
0: Different birds. Um, so Birdie, <laughs> air quality, never mind. Um, but So I tried out a home security system, and one of the things that actually wasn't a feature, but it should have been a feature and maybe now, was that it didn't notify me when it went offline. Um, and I thought that was you know, a glaring failure <laughs> in the product that wasn't even part of the design specs. So, and they could add it later, right? And I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. But so that, that's a case where it wasn't a bug. It was just, I guess, a design failure. And I don't know how, like, to think about things like that and how you prevent something like that on the product design side. How do you advise your companies to kind of think about things like that?
2: Well, we try to get our companies to get beta units into the hands of customers as soon as possible. And that, that's, how you, that's how you figure that out. So Switchmate, uh, which is a Bluetooth controller for your lights, so you pop it on for the light switch and then you can control it your phone. Uh, they did several small, let's say, alpha runs. I mean, these are sometimes like 3D printed, super ugly, and they sent them all over the U.S. just to see how people would use them, and that's how they realized that they still needed to be able to turn on the lights manually, uh, not just from your phone. Uh, They had one user actually, you know, knock it off the wall and break it, and that's when they realized, like, oh, people won't treat this like a delicate data unit like we have them. We need to add. They, and so they added like a rubber gasket to add more friction. And they also put a little buffer unit around uh, the actual controller so that the the end product could stand up to at least a little bit of abuse. And so it's getting your product to customers to see how they use it, it is how you find these flaws. Another example is Current Labs with their product Fishbit. They launched a Kickstarter beta in January. They did a Kickstarter, they capped it at 30 units I believe, sold out in 24 hours, and all the customers who bought it will get a new fit, fit when the real product comes out and are on the hook, or at least have, have promised by signing up for this Kickstarter that they will send feedback and help inform the team about the product. So that when they actually ship or when they actually launch the real crowdfunding campaign and ship, they'll be able to deliver the experience they want.
0: Wait, they got people to pay for the device that they're going to test? Yeah. That's awesome.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll have the features, right? It'll have the the salinity sensor, the pH sensor, the thermometer, and it can control the heater and lights. So, I mean, this is a fully functioning device. However, It won't be the exact experience they want. They're still learning how to interact with it with the software. So, I mean, these people are getting. I mean, these are gonna be expensive units. Current isn't gonna make any money (laughs) off the Kickstarter unit.
0: No, but just the idea that
2: more. Yeah,
0: yeah, just but getting someone to even fund the cost of like the original betas, like even offset the cost of the beta units, is great. Um, Okay. And so that's, that's good feedback and the fact that maybe, maybe you can even get people like if you have some sort of product that people are really hankering for, you can even get them to offset the cost of your beta is great. Um, and then the other, let's talk about kind of the complicated ways that you can fail with bugs, because I think that's where a lot of this happens and this is super hard and you brought up some really good points and I don't know how to I don't know how companies can deal with this, the idea that there are so many platforms, then the idea that there people are clamoring for integrations. Um, So if you've got a connected device that you're trying to launch, do you recommend that people start with maybe one platform, like maybe just iOS to get it out on the market and then try to build for Android? Is that one way to control kind of the experience? or is that not good enough? I I don't know.
2: Uh, I think simplifying the number of platforms you're on is a great way to uh, limit the number of bugs and scenarios you have to deal with. I don't feel like people in the IoT space can hold off on Android for too long because there is still quite a, especially in the technical world, there's a lot of people who use Android.
0: I am an Android user, I I will tell you. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it would be quite tricky to to totally avoid Android. Um, I think where they get caught up in a lot of things is those scenarios around relying on other people's platforms. Um, and so to try to counteract that, we actually have an IoT playground here at Highway 1 where we have a Sonos, we have Hue, we have SmartThings, we have a Nest. We will have a Flick, we'll have a SwitchMate, we'll have a Birdie, so that people can test how their device interacts with these other APIs, so that when they actually get into the home, you know if it'll work with smart things. you know if it'll work with Nest, because that's, people kind of want that magical experience from these systems, and they want them to work together.
0: Or they could send it to me, because you just described my home, and, and I even have more if they want more.
2: <laughs> well, we can put you on our beta, beta user list. They,
0: they, can, they can just be like, oh, we'll send it to Stacy, and, and her home is a nightmare of epic proportions.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, all right, so so let's see, because that is, I will say, you know, and I actually... The first thing when I get a device, I actually test it on its own merits before I hook it up to anything because, because mm-hmm. I, I fundamentally think it's unfair to be like, oh, this is awesome. Now I'm going to break you with like hooking you up to twenty different things, uh, because I'm I'm kind. I think maybe I'm not kind. I don't know. Um, and then when it comes to the integrations, this is this is really tricky, and and I don't know how your, your companies and how you tell your companies to handle this. And as a consumer, I don't, I know what I do, but I don't know what the normal consumer does. So let's, let's get your take on this. Things don't always work. Even like when I test out my works with nest integrations, a perfect example, and we'll pick on big companies. Cause, cause they have, they have power. They can, they can handle it. Um, I was really excited about uh, the Hue works with Nest integration because I love my Hue and I like my Nest. Um, and I thought the integration was really clever. So I hooked it up and it was a great toggle. And then I noticed, and the idea was when you link your Nest and your Hue lights together, when your Nest goes to a way, after about a minute, your Hue lights will fade slowly off and you will save energy. And if you, isn't that nice? You're like, oh, that's so nice. And then if you're away for more than a day, your Hue lights will randomly go on and off in a random pattern to mimic someone being at home. So you're like, oh, so cool. Okay, so I was sold. I thought that was great. Um, So I turned it on. And then I had like a television crew in my house. And I'm like, this is going to be great, guys. Watch this. I told them about this integration. They were like, Wow and then i turned i turned my nest to away and we're staring at the lights and nothing happened i was like it's going to take a minute they want you to be able to walk out of the house without you know bumping into anything you know they don't want the lights to all go off at once so we're still staring at the lights and they're like nothing finally we realized it did it just didn't work so i'm like ah And because I'm me, you know, I I had the ability to call both Nest and Hue and be like, yo, guys, this integration, it doesn't work. What's going on? Um, But a normal consumer, they're like, man, this doesn't work. Who do I call? You know, do I call Nest? Do I call Hue? Uh, Both of these are, Nest actually has a consumer hotline, which is nice. Um, Hue, you have to go to the forums. Um, they, They actually, Hue pushed out an update. It was a couple people had needed an update to make it work, but... The bottom line is these don't always work. And what do you tell your customer, your, your companies when like they play with these big partners or small partners and their customers are like, Hey, what's going on? This doesn't work.
2: I always tell them to get out <laughs> in front. <laughs> Although, uh, I mean, I have seen that more with, uh, I see that more with like manufacturing delays. <laughs> um, where it's like, don't bury the lead. Let people know that where you're at and just be open about it. And I think they need that. I think people need to realize or companies need to realize integrations are what mean you and what mean consumers in your direction after they already want your use case. So... In the case of Ivy, um, you want voice control for your phone. The fact that it works with Nest and you have a Nest might mean you in the direction of Ivy over, say, Amazon's Echo. Um, and so people want to think feel they're buying into a platform. But at its core, it's going to be whether or not your device works.
0: Okay, fair enough. So who can you who can you kind of test devices on? Because I do think that there is a market that you can test devices on. So is it your clearly labeled Kickstarter betas, like the is it Fishbits? Was that the name of the company?
2: Uh, Fishbit is the product. Yes.
0: Okay, Fishbits, the Fishbits product. Um, is it is it like a clearly labeled beta Kickstarter? Is it a normal kind of? Indiegogo or Kickstarter, crowdfunded kind of thing, either self-funded or however, not self-funded, uh, self-starter kind of thing, or is it, it, it's not at a brick and mortar level. It's probably not on your website. I don't know. At what point in time can you kind of have these preview hardware things that kind of are a little glitchy? And at what point in time do you transition to something that's pretty seamless for the end user?
2: I mean, I think it depends on the, on the company and the product. But, I mean, a lot of V1s, um, regardless of the company and the size of the company, are, often have bugs. Just because, and this goes back to Linus Torvalds uh, saying, all bugs are shallow under many eyes. And the reality is these teams are five people. 7 people. Uh, they that is shipping to 30 people. So they're going to catch a bunch of bugs. They're going to catch the most obvious ones. But they won't catch them all. And they won't catch them all even after they've shipped to 10,000 people. They will still encounter new bugs. Um, they just won't have encountered that Hopefully they'll fix they'll be able to fix the bugs as they encounter them. So they won't encounter new bugs. But Especially with a V one product, there are tons of bugs
0: out there. Okay, so it's like don't buy it. Like I remember a friend of mine bought the first the first version of like the Mercedes, you know, the first model year, the Mercedes like sport utility vehicle. Oh, and he hated that car, and he was such a loyal Mercedes customer. His whole family had bought Mercedes all their lives, and you know, I was like, dude, you just bought a Mercedes. Why are you complaining all the time? Um, but you know that that kind of stuck with me i was like okay never buy the first version of a of a, you know new make and model don't, of a automobile
2: <laughs> don't buy the first version of a self driving car yeah it's uh i mean there the companies are figuring this out they are figuring out especially with startups i mean they are both trying to create something new and trying to create a company so they're Trying to figure out the product while well, they're also trying to figure out the company's process for building that product. So it, it can be a challenge to do both at once. It's like building the airplane on your way down.
0: <laughs> That's, okay, very scary.
2: Um,
0: and then <laughs> <laughs> what happens? I mean, because a lot of these are startups, what do you think? What do you recommend for these companies? Do they have like a, a parachute? Do they have an exit plan for their consumers? Or what do, you, what do you tell them in case they go out of business and they leave people with these connected devices that may or may not be supported after a year or two? I mean,
2: I, I, mean, I think that that's something that the IoT space is going to encounter. And we'll need to figure out. I think it's something that they can learn from the web. I remember when Bitly was first coming out, and there was a lot of concern about how uh, URL shorteners were going to hurt the web. And arguably, perhaps they have, because when you look at a URL, you don't know where it's actually leading you to. Uh, and that's, you know, brought on a lot of, well, lots of <laughs> ruined the world with Rick Rolling, uh, but also, you know, a lot of scams have been perpetrated that way. Bitly, to their credit, got out in front of the argument or got out in front of the issue and said, okay, if we ever go out of business, we are going to open source our or make available our database of links and shortners so that other people can use these. Because we don't think URL sorteners are going to go away, but at least other services can can translate our links. And that really, I think, helped the issue. It didn't solve it because it will still be a little tedious But at least people can still use the bit.ly URLs that are all over the web. And I think IoT companies haven't quite hit that issue yet, where they are going to have to deal with um, their products going away.
0: Yeah, I think the first... And
2: upset consumers.
0: Yeah, because the first one we have right now, I think... Well, it's probably not the first one, but the biggest one that I can think of is the Revolve Hub that Google bought Revolve and will stop supporting the hub after a year. So mm-hmm. I mean, in that that was a company that was bought by Google, which is a legitimately I mean that's a legitimate business and you know that's that's not just a zombie kind of company. So I don't know, it, it is interesting. I'm very curious of the devices that I have purchased, how many of them will be supported, especially things that I have like unscrewed switch plates and rewired into my wall. I'm like, oh, I hope I don't have to risk dying of electrocution again.
2: Yay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm reminded of, uh, I believe it was, you know, Microsoft tried to shut down some of the Zoom DRM servers. Which meant that people would lose the ability to play some of their music.
0: Oh yeah, they didn't
2: have to bake in the DRM servers. They could have, they, they could have set that free, but they baked that in. So I believe they got stuck kind of maintaining those things. And Now they have legacy. Right. You know, Google could easily, you could picture the Revolve code and system flowing into Nest, right? So they could easily send a new Nest. To every resolve
0: user, right? But that—that's a lot of radios to pack into something. So, I don't know. Well, we'll we'll see if Google calls us all upset. Hey, wait! Uh, don't promise this on our behalf. All right. Well, Brady, we we have we have solved. We haven't really solved. We have t- we have traded one intractable problem for another. Uh, but I appreciate your your thoughts on this because I was as I am getting frustrated with things, I will remind myself that there are lots of platforms. They're ever changing that, um, you can't think of everything all at once. And that, you know, unless it's a gaping, huge security bug that I feel is like ridiculously ridiculous in the sense that really guys, you probably should have had this. Um, maybe we can come up with some best practices that should just be baked into all designs or something like that. Um, we, uh, I will try to be a lot more forgiving of the the minor bugs and add the major ones to my best practices, my mental best practices list. So thank you for coming on the show.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show.